God bless all of you today. Amen. So good to see each and every one of you here. We are gathered together once again in the presence of Almighty God. Amen. Uh, before we stand and worship and, and call out on the name of the Lord, I just want to say how delighted I am that Sister Parker is back with us today. Amen. Amen. We missed you. It's good to see you. Praise God. Amen. Let's all stand. <coughs> Praise the Lord. What an awesome opportunity we have today. Jesus makes all things new. He wants to do a new thing here today. Praise God. Let's let him do that. Let's expect great things, glorious things from the Lord today. Amen. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We are so thankful again for this opportunity you've afforded us today to enter into the very throne room of God, the very presence of of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an awesome opportunity we have today. What a great privilege. What a high honor that you have bestowed upon us to enter into your presence and to hear your voice and to feel your touch, to be able to spend time with you. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Help us to hear clearly today the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to hear clearly and to understand perfectly the will of God for us today. I pray, Lord, as your word goes forth, uh, once again, that it would not return void, but it would accomplish that which you please and prosper in the thing whereto you send it. Your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Discern our hearts today, discern our thoughts today, that they be toward you, that they be pleasing to you. Hallelujah, Jesus, we worship you, we praise you, we laud and we magnify you. We are so excited and we, we are expectant today of the good things of God, the things that you are ready to bestow upon your people, the things that you are ready to, to minister in and to work in. Hallelujah, Jesus. Our faith is toward you. Our confidence and hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ today and in you alone. Hallelujah, Jesus. Some trust in chariots, but we will call upon the name of the Lord our God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Our trust is in you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have in store. We worship you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Horses and chariots. Okay. By way of review, last week we talked about Queen Esther. We talked about Mordecai, Haman, amen, all them guys. Esther, like Daniel and many others in Scripture, was thrust into, a circumst- thrust into circumstances she had no control over. Amen. And that's always uncomfortable when we're in a situation that we have no control over. Uh, if, if we would perhaps take a step back and, and look at situations in our lives, we'd probably come to the realization that we don't have control over all kinds of stuff in our lives. Uh, But the illusion of control sometimes is all we need. Sometimes that's enough to get us through, to give us a little bit of comfort. Amen. But we know the one who is in control. Amen. And he most certainly is in control of everything. Queen Esther was an Israelite captive. She was forced to undergo a lengthy selection process by the king to become queen. Uh, By all accounts, that could have taken uh, several years uh, to complete that whole process. 
She was put into a position, ultimately, where she would have to enter into the king's presence unbidden, risking death itself to save her people from certain death. What a choice. That's a cool place to be, right? I might die. I'll definitely die. Well, might die wins. We see through the life of Queen Esther and others that God is faithful to his covenant people, and he can work out any situation in our lives. (laughs) Those situations where we just can't see anything happening. We can't see anything good coming of this. How in the world could anything good possibly come from this? Those are the situations that God delights to work in. He delights in that. Circumstances don't matter to God. They don't. Now, they matter because they matter to us. But as far as difficulty, they're irrelevant. However difficult or however easy your circumstances, it's absolutely irrelevant. When your power levels are infinite, everything else in comparison is zero. That's just the math. Impossibilities, that's where God gets started. When our, when our resources are entirely exhausted, when our strength fails, when our intellect lets us down, that's God's starting point. And he just takes on from there all the way until it's accomplished. But again, it requires our faithful obedience to God. We've got to trust him with that circumstance and that situation. If we can't trust him, folks, well, they'll just keep waiting. He's he's not going to do anything until we give it to him. You have free will. He's waiting on you to make a choice. Choose him. Daily devotions, day one. Although criticisms of our nations and its policies, especially where we have departed from God's word, are right and proper, we must be careful not to get a critical spirit. There's a difference between preaching against sin and unrighteousness and just being critical. We see in the life of uh, uh, John the Baptist, he preached against the sins of, of Herod. You ought not marry your brother's wife while he's alive. But, see, John wasn't being political. He preached out of love and concern. If you continue in this, he said, you'll die in your sins. That was his concern. We have a president today that uh, maybe some people in this room, we don't agree with 100% of his policies. Fair enough. This is the United States. We're, We're free to do that. However, we are commanded to pray for our leaders. He needs prayer, folks. He needs our prayers. He is our president. Uh, We can go on about, you know, unduly elected, voter fraud, all that stuff. Uh, Not the purpose of this message. He's the recognized president of the United States. He needs our prayers. We can be critical of the sins of this nation, and I think we should be. We ought to preach against them. We need to stand against them. But we need to pray for this nation and don't get a critical spirit day two nazi intelligence officer helmuth james graf von moltke maybe when faced with the information that the germans were destroying villages and executing people by the thousands in 1939 chose to take action against that rather than bury his head in the sand even though he knew what the punishment would be 
Ultimately, it was imprisonment and death. In our lives today, we know that our enemy is working nonstop to destroy all the lives he can. We know that. We have the information reports in front of us. We have the intelligence reports right here in the Word of God all around us. What is our response to that? Do we bury our head in the sand and continue living our comfortable lives? We don't want to upset that. We don't want to put that at risk. Or do we choose to take action, join the resistance, fight for those who cannot fight for themselves? Another place where we need to make a choice. Day three, the Mongol Empire was very receptive to Christian missionaries, primarily due to the influence of their Christian wives. Long before the missionaries ever spoke to a Mongol, God had positioned women there and gave them favor. And the, uh, the devotion said this, I'll quote it directly, If you feel less qualified, less gifted, or less connected to share the gospel, remember, God positioned you in your neighborhood, community, and workplace. Do not hesitate. Do what God has called and equipped you to do. Amen. That's just one more reminder, folks, that it's not really dependent on your abilities, your qualifications. God has qualified you. He has equipped you. He has commissioned you to accomplish His will. Day four. Edmund Dantes, this is one of my favorite stories, in Alexandre Dumas' novel, The Count of Monte Cristo, was wrongly accused by his friend and imprisoned in the Chateau d'If. Amen. Not a good place to be. So he plotted his revenge, and after he escaped, he discovered a great treasure which gave him the means to exact any revenge he desired. And he did so. But as he carried out his revenge, he grew colder. He grew more ruthless. And he was in danger of ending up just like Haman did. Destroyed by his own hubris. Destroyed by his own need for revenge. But in the story, Dantes realized that God never abandoned him. And he opened his heart to God's love and his forgiveness. Amen. If you've seen the movie and read the book, the book is way different. It's really long, too. But it's really good. Psalm 94.1 says, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. The psalmist was declaring that vengeance belongs to one person and one person only, God. Romans 12.19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And I like that last part, I will repay. When we, when we think of vengeance, uh, we're not thinking of justice. Someone slights us, we want to light their car on fire. Is that justice? No, that's not justice at all. That's not even close. That's vengeance. But God says, I will repay. He'll balance the books. He'll make it right. That's justice. Amen. Day five. Esther's call for a fast would have been during the time the Jews were celebrating the Feast of Passover. I find that interesting. During the last decades leading up to the abolishment of legalized slavery in the 1860s, enslaved Africans met in praise houses or camp meetings where they sang praises to God while they were enslaved. 
These were joyful celebrations of freedom, but sung by those yet enslaved. During the darkest times in life, it's important to hold on to hope. But I would also say it's important where you've placed your hope, in whom you've placed your hope. Uh, We can hope in government, we can hope in doctors, we can hope in uh, any number of things. I choose to place my hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. When our hope is in God, then we truly do have hope. Psalm 42.5 says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Psalm 146.5 says, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Amen. Our lesson today is entitled 38 Years. And our scripture text is found in John chapter 5. We'll start reading in verses, verse 31. Verses 31. <clears throat> Singular. Starting with verse 31. John chapter 5. We come into the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with the leaders of Israel. He says this, starting in verse 30, I'm sorry, verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and ye bear witness unto the truth, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, And ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape, and ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Amen. It was a rather big year that year. Hopefuls gathered in New York City's Times Square to signal the dawning of a new year as December 31st gave way to January 1st. Perhaps this year would be the best year of their lives. It began as the year of promise. During the first month, NASA was scheduled to launch a shuttle carrying a teacher into space. Krista McGlophy? McCullough, okay, was going to be the first teacher, thank you, and astronaut. And she was scheduled to conduct experiments and teach two lessons to the world from space. However, only 73 seconds after the launch, the Challenger broke apart, and we lost all seven astronauts on board, including Krista. 
While we mourned the loss of the Challenger's crew, another disaster shook the world three months later. One of the nuclear reactors at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant exploded, claiming the lives of 31 people and contaminating the surrounding area. Thousands more later died as a result of the fallout and contamination. Although tourists visit Chernobyl, the surrounding area remains radioactive. Tourists must wear protective suits and masks, and each visit must last no longer than five minutes. To help the world take their minds off major tragedies such as these, the Phantom of the Opera opened a rounds of applause at Her Majesty's Theatre in London in October of that same year. The Phantom ran for 13,629 performances before its final curtain call in 2020. Those major, news-making, life-changing world events seemed to happen a lifetime ago. It was only 38 years ago. 38 years ago was 1986. Some of you are going to laugh, but I graduated in 1986. I know, right? <laughs> 38 years from now will be 2062. 38 years can be a long time. The world has changed quite a bit in 38 years. Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States. Gasoline was 86 cents a gallon. A new modestly sized house cost $92,000 but an annual median salary was just under 30000 For a fast-moving, jet-setting business person or growing family, 38 years can scream by in a blink of an eye. But for a person living with paralysis, relying on others for food and shelter, living in pain, 38 years can crawl slower than a turtle giving a sloth a piggyback ride. That's slow. Amen. <clears throat> Jesus, at this point, wasn't really a household name. But after he turned water into wine at this certain wedding, people started asking questions about him. Who is he? How did he do that? What else could he do? Within days, Jerusalem was bustling with travelers and tourists coming to the feast. When Jesus arrived, he led his followers past the merchants, peddling their wares into one of the saddest sights in Jerusalem. Now, it's obvious Jesus wasn't angling for a tourist job because he would have stayed clear of Bethesda. This is a place in town you didn't take tourists. It was teeming with sick, hurting humanity. The book of John records these sick, blind, paralyzed, and lame eking out their living, whatever it may have been, at the pool of Bethesda. They all wanted healing. They believed they had to wait until the angel troubled the waters before they could receive it. As Jesus wound his way through the sea of sickness, disease, paralysis, he came upon a man who had been disabled at this point for 38 years. Jesus knew everything there was to know about the man, so he skipped by the idle chit-chat and went directly to the point. Do you want to be made whole? Interesting question. To someone who's been in this condition for 38 years? Wilt thou be made whole? If you ask an eagle, do you want to soar? Ask a cheetah, do you want to run? If you ask a sick man, do you want to be made well? Yes. Yes, I do. You would think that would have been the response. A simple, yes, please. 
He didn't give Jesus an answer, though. He only gave him an excuse. John 5, 7 says, The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. I'd have been well a long time ago, but no one will help me. 38 years ago, this man lost strength. Sometime after that, he lost hope. Jesus didn't even flinch. He commanded the man, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Immediately, a man who had not walked in almost 40 years stood, steadied himself, and walked. One simple command from Jesus erased a generation-long curse and gave the man a brand new beginning. He's that powerful, folks. Again, it doesn't matter what circumstance or situation we face. All it takes is one word from God. One word spoken into that situation by Jesus. That's all it takes. And it's done. We see this all through Scripture. All kinds of people have been through all kinds of circumstances. I always think, when it comes to this, I always think of Joseph. He was plunged into his, uh, multiple circumstances. Not good ones. He had a promise. He had a promise of rulership. But he was a slave. He kept going from one slave position to another. He'd get a pretty good thing going, and that would, be, that would fall apart. He'd go right back down to the bottom. What am I doing wrong here? But then, just like that, in one day, folks, probably in a few hours, he went from managing the prison to the number two guy in Egypt. So fast it probably made his head spin. And that's what happens. When it's time, folks, it's time. There's no need to wait anymore. He speaks the word and it happens. We rejoice at the miracle here, but there are many things, if we stop and look at it, that are left out of the account. Why did Jesus heal this man? Did this man even have faith at all to be healed? Were other sick people healed? Were they not healed? Why did Jesus choose this one person? There were plenty of people around to choose. In any case, I don't have answers for any of those. In any case, Jesus walked in among hurting humanity, healed this man, and the man walked. All miracles we know are for the glory of God. Ultimately, that's why miracles exist. That's why they're performed, to give God glory, to testify of him, to move his kingdom forward. Amen. However, they do benefit us too, don't they? We do receive the healing. We do receive the financial blessing. We do receive the deliverance. And in this case, the miracle appears to be Jesus giving strength and hope to a man who had lost both. He'd lost both. Jesus truly cared for and loved this man, just like he cares for and loves each and every one of us. Now, folks, let's be real. This man had nothing to offer God. He had nothing to offer Jesus. Nothing. He was impotent. He begged. 
And that's exactly where Jesus finds each and every person that he saves. That's where he found you. That's certainly where he found me. Whatever our station in life was, spiritually, that was me. I was dead. I was begging. I was blind. I was deaf, dumb. But Jesus loved me. And he cared for me. And he ministered to every one of my needs. Just like he did for you. Just like he'll do for each and every person that comes to him. Amen. Jesus isn't looking for what we can give him. And I, yeah, we, yeah, absolutely. Jesus is good that way. But we still think that from time to time. We still get that in our, our, our heads somehow. Oh, I just, I don't know, I don't know what God could do with me. I don't know what I can do for him. I'm just, I'm just no good this, that, or the other. No, you're not. You're a child of God. And again, we need to start understanding that. And we need to start living and walking according to that truth. We are not the person that Jesus found. That person is dead, buried with him in baptism. We are new creatures in Christ. We are children of the Most High. He's given us his name. He's adopted us into his family. And whether you feel like it or not, walk in that truth. Feelings not required. Motivations not required. You just need to acknowledge the truth of it. When Jesus comes and asks you, wilt thou receive from me? Don't offer excuses for why you're disqualified from a miracle. Don't lose hope or faith in what God desires to do in you and through you. Do know that Jesus loves you, cares for you, and desires to meet your every need wherever you might be now. Amen. He knows that you're a human being. He knows that you're weak in some areas. He wants to make those areas strong. He wants you to be the person that He created you to be. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that I am where I am today. The, from where He brought me, this is amazing. But I don't want to stay here. There's a goal that I see. There's Christ-likeness. I see Jesus. That's who I want to be like. I'm not there yet. But if I keep making right choices and right decisions, if I keep submitting myself to Him and, and become obedient to Him, serve Him with my life, discipline myself to do those things that please Him, I can keep moving forward in that. I can keep walking with Him and become more like Him each and every day. Amen. The people were happy. Jesus was happy. The man that got healed was happy. The disciples were happy. Everybody was happy at this miracle. Except for the, the leaders. Those who spoke for Gaul. In my best preacher voice. 
God. The religious upper crust wanted to kill Jesus because he had worked this miracle on the Sabbath day. Even though a miracle had been done by Jesus, it was a miracle, an obvious miracle. It wasn't enough to tip the scales from kill him to worship him. Let's look at the account. John 5 and 10 says this, The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It's the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Now again, I need to keep in mind the context and, and, and all of that stuff, but wow. I mean, that's that's splitting hairs, dude. Now this man that was carrying his bed now, poor guy, doing what he was told to do, he didn't have the training in the law that the leaders did. But he did know one thing. He didn't know the intricacies of the Mosaic law, but he knew what Jesus had done for him. He didn't even know who this guy was. But he knows what was done. And I love this. There's another account where Jesus heals a blind man. And they they go and question him. And he's like, I don't know any of that. Here's what I do know. I was blind. Now I see. And folks, when we come to the Lord, I know when I came to the Lord, I had no knowledge of what was in Scripture. I knew John 3.16. I knew Psalm 23. I could quote about half of it. I claimed to know some stuff in Revelation, but (laughs) not even close to true. That was it. That was it. I was just told about Acts 2.38, so I knew that. When someone, when my friends, I was inviting people to church. This is what happened. It's amazing. you got to come. They'd ask questions. And what was my response? I don't have a clue, but I know people that do. you gotta come, You got to come talk to these guys. They have the answers you're looking for. I don't know any of that. But here's what I do know. I went into this church and I felt the presence of God. It was so powerful. It was like a cloak around me. I'd never felt anything like that before. God forgave me of my sins. I bawled like a baby. Big, tough, airborne sergeant. Bawling like a baby. Yeah, right? <laughs> Crushed me completely out. It was amazing. That's all I knew. That's it. But it was enough. It was enough. When people come to the Lord, they don't know a whole lot. We don't expect that they'll know a whole lot. That's our job, to impart knowledge to them. To help them along with that path. But, yeah, to teach them. But what they do know, they know what Jesus did for them. And they need to be encouraged to share that, share their testimony, share everything God did for them. I don't know about all that stuff, but here's what I do know. I was blind, now I see. I was sick, now I'm well. I was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and I'm delivered. 
whatever it might be. But that's what Jesus did, and he can do the same for you. Praise God. I love this. It's so powerful. Well, they continued to drill him on who and why and how dare he. But the man didn't know anything. He's useless. Further interrogation would do no good. Let him go. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and told him to go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. He took care of his physical needs. Now he's going to address spiritual things. That's always the order. The man reported back to the leaders that it was Jesus. I know who it was now. Jesus is the one that healed me. So the Jewish leaders turned their sights on Jesus, wondering what he had to say for himself. I can imagine that they must have been pleased with themselves. When they confront Jesus, here's, here's what can happen. He can deny it. Then we got, we got him in a lie because there's witnesses here. Maybe he'll beg for mercy. And if that's the case, these people will see who's really in charge around here. <clears throat> Jesus responded, again, Jesus always chooses door number three, it seems. Jesus answered that my father worketh hitherto, and I work. And they knew exactly who Jesus was referring to. He wasn't referring to Joseph. And they knew it. Jesus here was making himself equal to God. Their response was found in verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because he, was, he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Question. How do you make a murderous, bloodthirsty crowd even more murderous and bloodthirsty? <clears throat> well, there's probably a few ways, but Jesus definitely caught on to one here. If Jesus was skating on thin ice before, he just dropped a thermite grenade all over the ice. Jesus, he just, uh, he wasn't political either. He just seemed to tell the truth, whatever that might be. It reminds me of a a verse, uh, Daniel 3.16. The three Hebrew children, when they were threatened with going into the fiery furnace, they said this, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. They weren't careful. They weren't worried about it. They just spoke directly to the king. We're not going to bow down. Whatever the consequences are, we're not going to worship this thing. Neither was Jesus careful in his answer. But he spoke the truth. We cannot afford to make their same mistake, folks. Jesus is not just a prophet or a preacher or wonder worker or outstanding teacher. Commensurate with all the other prophets and good teachers that are out there. Jesus stands unique. Jesus is almighty God who came in flesh. 
This miracle is recorded along with all the other miracles for one reason. We read in John chapter 20, verse 31, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Amen. He is God manifest in flesh. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. He continues to testify for 29 more verses as his accusers grew angrier. Since the Jewish leaders called this ad hoc trial together, Jesus starts calling witnesses to attest to the fact that he is who he says he is. His first witness was John the Baptist. John 5.33 says, He sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. What witness was that? Glad you asked. Let's look at John chapter 1, verses 29 through 36. The Bible states this, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bare record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day after John stood, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walketh, saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist bare record. He went on record stating, This was the Son of God. Now, there were very few fans of John the Baptist in the crowd today, because John had the audacity to call the religious leaders to repentance, just like all the other rank sinners. How dare he? The second witness he called was the Father himself. John 5, 36 and 37 says, But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me, that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Jesus didn't come to earth with some hand-scrawled paper napkin filled with his to-do list, folks. He wasn't sitting in the bar the night before, oh, got to do this, got to do that. He was doing the will of the Father. His accusers didn't recognize that, though, that he was doing the will of the Father, because they'd never heard his voice. How strange that the men who were supposed to speak for God had never heard him before. There's a danger in the world today, folks. People standing behind pulpits, screaming out, out on YouTube, Thus saith the Lord, when that wasn't God that said that. I don't know if there's anything more serious than claiming to speak for God. God has nothing to do with that. There were prophets in the Old Testament that did that. They were to be killed. That was a death sentence. 
God takes that very seriously. He's presented to us his word. And he's telling us, he's commanding us, don't add to it and don't take away from it. It stands as it is. When you claim to have heard from the Lord and you speak in his name, folks, you better be better be spot on with that. It's all right to say, I believe that this is what this is saying. I think I'm on track here. That's one thing. But when you say, thus saith the Lord, you better be right. You better be sure. His third witness was Moses. I guess what I'm trying to say is, you need to be hearing from God. You need to hear his voice. When you hear his voice, folks, it's easy to speak the words of God. It's, it's clear. God's not nebulous. He's not cryptic. When he speaks, he speaks plainly. Amen. His third witness was Moses. John 5, 45-47 states this, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? This was the coup de grace in their minds. Moses. He's invoking Moses, the lawgiver. We're defending the Mosaic law here. That's what we do. We uphold the law of Moses. They believed. But were they? Jesus states in another part of Scripture that you've left off the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faith. These you ought to have done and not to have leave the others undone. Moses speaks about Jesus. Genesis 3.15 I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. Thou shalt bruise his heel. Generally considered the very first prophecy we have of a coming Messiah. Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Referring to a descendant of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Numbers 24.17, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Seth. Deuteronomy 18:15 through 19. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Again, prophesying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses wrote about him. Search the scriptures, Jesus said. They are they which testify of me. But they couldn't see it. 
They couldn't see it. They already knew truth. They already had that locked down. This can't be right. And that's the danger. That is the great danger when we approach truth that way. When we approach the scriptures with the idea that I already understand. I already have truth locked down. Because when I come like that, I twist and I torture and I make the word of God conform to my truth. People do it all the time. We can't do that. The word of God speaks for itself. It stands on its own. When I approach the word of truth, I need to come softly and humbly. Lord, teach me truth. Lord, what are you trying to say here? And God will reveal truth to you. He will speak to you concerning these things. I don't need to see it. I already know what it says. God help anyone like that. The Jews were in this boat. They had truth locked down. They already understood everything there was to understand. Jesus starts preaching all this hoo-hoo stuff. And this isn't what we understand. This isn't what we know. This isn't what we were taught. So what's wrong? It's wrong if it contradicts Scripture. But if it messes with Scripture, folks, something else is wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Is that at least a remote possibility? I think it is. Maybe a little more than a remote possibility. The witnesses Jesus brought to bear were both legally and scripturally compelling, but the leaders refused to bow. They knew they were right, but they couldn't have been more wrong. They thought they were rich and increased with goods, but they couldn't see that they were poor and miserable and blind and wretched and naked. We can't make their mistake, folks. We must accept the testimony of these witnesses and the testimony of Scripture that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus was coming. Jesus has come, and Jesus will come again. Praise God. And this applies to more than just doctrinal truths. This applies to everything that we see in Scripture. If we see something in Scripture that contradicts something that we think we know, that's worth bearing, that, that bears investigation, folks. That bears confirmation. The Word of God is the only thing with the authority to tell me how I ought to live. God, the Word of God, they have the authority to tell me what's right and wrong, what I should do with my life, how I ought to live, period. 
So if I see in Scripture something I'm doing wrong, I can reinterpret it so that I'm right again. Or I can reinterpret my own actions. I can submit to Scripture. I can submit to truth and change, conform myself to the authority of God's will. There is a dearth of knowledge of truth in this world today. And even in people that ought to know better. I am still amazed at the statistics of people coming out of seminaries today. What they believe about the Word of God. Over half of them today don't believe in objective truth. People graduating seminaries, they're going to be pastoring churches, they're going to be missionaries. Whatever they feel called to do, I guess, but they're going to be teaching people there's no absolute truth. It's all relative. There's some good stuff in here, but there's good stuff in other books too. What's the point, folks? At that point, what are we doing here? But if the Word of God is true, if it's true all, to, all through, from cover to cover, then that's what we have to study, and that's what we have to understand, and that's what we have to submit ourselves to. That's what I build my life upon. And when I approach it, I don't approach it like I've got everything figured out. I approach it like I need to understand. And if I don't understand, God, help me to understand. He's the one that understands Scripture. He wrote it. Yeah. It's his book. He knows what he's trying to say. I don't. I need him to tell me. Sometimes it's plain. Sometimes it's easy to understand. No problem. Got that. Sometimes it's a little bit more difficult. God help me. What are you trying to say here? How do I apply this to my life? And we've got to apply it to our lives, folks. We've got to do the Word of God. Not just study it. Not just even teach it. But we've got to do it. Amen. On that day, after 38 years of waiting for a miracle at the pool, Jesus healed the lame beggar. But what happened on the next day? It must have been a sight for the people coming to the marketplace to walk by the pool at Bethesda and not see him lying there. He'd become a fixture, a certainty, as sure as the sun shines in the east and dims in the west. The 38-year-long lame beggar at Bethesda would be lame and begging at Bethesda. But not the next day. His absence was evidence. Doubtless, people asked where he was. Did he die? Did someone carry him to their house? No and no. Jesus healed him. He was no longer lame, and he was no longer a beggar. He was completely healed. The evidence and witnesses were piling up for Jesus' deity. No one else could do what Jesus could do. Although the Jews were upset Jesus had worked on the Sabbath, none could deny that a man who had been unable to walk was walking. Neither could they prove that even one scripture on one scroll contradicted who Jesus was or what he would do. 
But these Jewish leaders were unwilling to believe, partly because perhaps they knew it would mean they would lose their power and influence over him, uh, to him. They were not ready to give that up. Further, they would have to repent of their sins and follow him. They were not ready to take those steps either. What about us? What further evidence do we need? We have the word of God, the testimony of God himself, and the wonders Jesus worked, which no man could work. We have the grandeur and glory of all creation, which declares the glory of God. Take it all in. Search the scriptures. Comb through the evidence. Take a long look at your own life, and you will see what the Jews should have seen. Jesus is Almighty God. And I would encourage you to do exactly that, folks. If you're not 100% convinced, comb through it. Look through the evidence. Become persuaded. Become convinced of truth. If you, if you don't believe that, oh, I'm, not, I'm just not 100% sure if that's true or not. Fair enough. Get sure. Be persuaded. Do what you need to do. Pile through the evidence. There are people, I, I've, read, I've read their books, uh, the, uh, Case for Christ, Lee Strobel. That's, that's a good example. Uh, he was an atheist. He was an investigator. So he did what he did best. He investigated. He went through all the evidence, talked to people. And he ended up, this is true. All the evidence points to this. I have no choice but to accept it. So truth stands on its own, folks. I'm not scared to I'm not scared to release someone into it and, and start digging through it and, and picking it. That doesn't that doesn't bother me. That doesn't scare me. If it's true, it's gonna stand. It'll stand scrutiny. It'll stand better scrutiny than you can give it. It'll stand better scrutiny than I can give it. Amen. I'm not trying to insult anyone, but I'm just I'm just verifying that the word of truth is it'll stand it. So be persuaded of truth. Today we're speaking about the the deity of Jesus, that there is one God. But every truth that we find in Scripture, the truth of Scripture itself, be persuaded. If you're not, be honest with yourself. Because I promise you, at some point, if you're not persuaded, you're going to get hit with that. I promise you that. And then you're going to be scrambling. Be persuaded. If there's any areas that you have any doubts in, look it up. Research it. Pray about it. Get get counsel from people you trust. Be persuaded. This is the very Word of God. And if you've got evidence against it, man, I'd love to hear that. I'd love to speak with you about that. Amen. Serious. I'm I'm not being stupid about that. I like to talk about that too. So I have some questions for you. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Jesus, I'm thankful that you came down, that you manifested yourself as flesh and walked among us. I am so thankful, Lord Jesus, because you did this for the sole purpose of dying for our sins to become the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice for my sins. I'm so thankful that you taught us truth. You exampled to us truth. You lived to us truth. You loved us and ministered to us. 
and continue to do so today through your body. I pray for the remainder of our service that you would minister each and every need, that you would bless your people, that your name would be glorified. These things we pray in Jesus' name.